Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. Tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Streaming tomorrow, only on Disney+. Plus. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, and those who don't identify as either, you are listening to Ratchet and Respectable. I'm pleased to report to you that since the last time we spoke, I've pretty much done a bunch of nothing. That's it, Nothing. I went and picked up my new glasses. Somehow they were available the same day. They had the lenses on site. So I want to say my appointment was at like three something. And they called me at seven to say my glasses were ready. But they were closing. And so I should come pick them up tomorrow. And I was like, why don't y'all just call me in the morning? But you know, fine. I went to the chiropractor. I told you I've been going to the chiropractor every other day. At least when I was in Maryland. My back got really... Not completely messed up, but it was like really stiff when I would get up and when I would sneeze, I would have to buckle my knees to lessen the pain in my lower back. And I was like, this can't be good. So I went to the chiropractor and she was like, yeah, like a disc slipped. And I was like, well, can you fix it? And she was like, I'm a chiropractor. Yes. (laughs) She has such a dry sense of humor. I pretty much fixed. Like I sneezed yesterday and for the first time in months, my back didn't hurt. Whenever I sneeze, especially if I'm laying down, I try to like almost curl into the fetal position and I curled up yesterday and I felt nothing. And I was like, holy shit. And then I sneezed today and I was standing up and I was like, just take the hit, take the hit. See if your back is really getting better. And I stayed upright and I sneezed and nothing hurt. And then when I went to the chiropractor, she uses the thing on my back. It's some kind of massager that like gets into your soul. It sounds like a grass mower. When she first started using it on me, it was so painful. It hurt so bad. And now it just feels like, it sounds like the grass mower, but it doesn't feel like I'm like being chopped up. I'm still going to keep going though. They put the little nodes, whatever they are, and like send waves of electricity through my back. And then they put the heat on top of it. It feels like a beautiful hug. Like I love it. I love going to the chiropractor. And then she comes and like cracks my back on both sides and in the middle. It's wonderful. I love it. It's my little indulgence. I know that sounds crazy. Like people like you like going to the chiropractor. Yes. And my back feels wonderful. I'm gonna start working out again. When I was in Europe, I was doing my stretches and obviously doing my walking, but I haven't really been doing much since I got back. Definitely haven't been using my kettlebell, which I also love, but I'm ready to reincorporate my kettlebell back into my life. I'm actually quite excited about it. It's the weird things. Oh, I went out Wednesday night, but it wasn't like out, out. It wasn't like gallivanting out. A warm meal with a nice gentleman. And then Thursday, I literally laid in bed the entire day. Read Jada's book. I did my 100 pages. Did you? I actually did over 100 pages. I got to 122. Like the next chapter ended at 110. 
So I just kept going. And then it, it was getting to a good part in the book. So I was like, oh, I'll just keep going a little more. But most of the day, like literally I laid in bed all day and took care of a bunch of stuff that I needed to for Ghana. Like I keep a running list when I'm traveling of things that I need to purchase, things that I've run out of, things that I need to take with me on the next trip. So I had to put a bunch of stuff in my Amazon cart and have it sent to me. Yes, I easily could go to the store, but it's so much easier just to have it delivered to me. And then, like I told you, I was like sick of wearing the same stuff. It's like one of my pet peeves somewhere around like month eight or nine, whenever I'm gone, I'm just like, I'm tired of wearing the same shit in rotation. Because I'm living out of suitcases. Essentially, it's one suitcase for clothes, one suitcase for bags and accessories, and then the other suitcase of like, I don't know, random personal items, everything from Alka-Seltzer to plastic tampons to chives. Couldn't find chives in Ghana to save my life. Next time, I'm taking like a block of cheese. Do you remember when I was in Ghana, there was like a cheese shortage? For like two months, there was no cheddar cheese. And then when they finally did have cheese, it was like $20 for like a small brick of cheese. And I was like, go fuck yourselves. Yeah. I was like, I cannot run out of cheese again. So I'm taking a block of cheese in my suitcase when I go back to Ghana. But I did buy a bunch of clothes. Half of it's going to go back because I have to try it on and decide what I do like and what I don't. I was like, I just, I don't need, want. I have clothes. I can be covered. The clothes are very nice. There's nothing wrong with them. I'm just so incredibly sick of wearing the same thing. You try wearing the same thing in rotation for nine months straight. It'll drive you up a wall. It doesn't drive me up a wall until like month eight, month nine. And then I just, I loathe it. And then like new shoes, which I told you like I genuinely needed because like I literally walked holes into my favorite pair of shoes. I replaced them. I bought a new pair of shoes. I found them online. Had to search a little bit, but okay. But then I need like a backup pair to those because clearly I wear them too much. So yeah, like that's the type of stuff that I did yesterday. Also, just be mindful that in in order for me to shop, and I do this with everything, so like pick a hotel, to pick a flight, everything, I have to go through all of the options to see what's available, and then I can make my decision from there. So I go on my favorite sites, and like even like the big department stores, I have to go through all of the dresses in my size in order to make a determination about which dresses that I want. I have to see everything that's available. It's a bit neurotic. I'm not going to do anything else today either. It's raining. It's Howard's homecoming. And there are people in town. I wanted to grab dinner with one of my friends. But if I know her and I know me, we ain't going out in the rain. She's an ex-New Yorker. Actually, she's from New York. So she's always a New Yorker. But she lives in LA. It does rain in Southern California, but not often. That's not the point. Oh, yesterday I did watch Beckham. There's a four-part, four, yeah, there's a four-part documentary series about David Beckham footballer slash international icon slash has been retired for years and is still like the face of everything. I want to say he was the face of the World Cup in Qatar. He was everywhere when I was overseas. I didn't get into him until he was with Posh Spice and then it was just unavoidable in the 90s because they were like the it couple even though they were very British. America has a weird relationship with Brits. Like sometimes we care, sometimes we don't. But the Spice Girls were so huge. I was only into Mel. Scary Spice. In retrospect, it's really fucked up that they made the black girl the scary one. Like what exactly about Mel B is scary? Is she angry? Is she aggressive? Is she mean? Will she fight you? Like why is she Scary Spice? She's actually super petite with like a bundle of fun energy. Like why exactly was she scary? Was it her like unstraight hair? Like what made her scary? Anyway, paid attention to David Beckham because he was married to one of the Spice Girls. And the longer they were together, like the bigger and bigger and bigger in fame, both of them became. So I was like always mildly interested in him. And then he just became like this overall cultural phenomenon. He was this huge cultural thing. And then he came to the U.S. I mean, all of this is in the documentary. But I didn't really know much about him as a personality. I just know David Beckham, retired football star, international icon, super wealthy, Had a kid named Brooklyn because I was obsessed with Brooklyn. And then they named the kid Brooklyn. Knew he had three kids. Knew he and Posh were still together. Knew she had a fashion line, which does not come up at all in the documentary. But I didn't know much about the ins and outs of their lives. I saw a couple other people on my Facebook page talking about the documentary. And I was like, oh, okay, well, you know, I'm interested enough. If it's good, I'll give it a watch. You know, if anything's halfway decent, even if it's not my usual fare, like if it's getting enough good reviews, I'll usually like check it out, at least for the first episode. Riveting, riveting. His father was kind of like 
white Joe Jackson. Except I don't think he beat him. He just made him practice like a lot, a lot, a lot to the point that the mom was like, hey, I feel like you're doing too much. And he was kind of like, mind your business, lady. We about to create a superstar. And did. Also didn't know about like all the lows in his career. Like he made some pretty big public mistakes. One of them was completely professional. He flipped out during a game and got kicked out. And then the team lost the World Cup. His countrymen proceeded to harass and boo him every time he was seen in public on on the football field or otherwise for like six months. That's crazy. Like his family got death threats. He and his wife got death threats. They had a baby. People were threatening to kidnap the baby. Like, I mean, it was crazy shit. I was like, I would have gave all y'all the finger and quit. But you know, he stayed the course. And after six months, like people were like, all right, he's fine again. But they were like, he was really depressed. And like the team, I mean, obviously everyone was upset with him. The speculation was they could have won if not for him getting kicked out. But even the team had to rally around him and be like, okay, like, you know, you fucked up. All right. But nobody deserves this. Like, this is too far. He's a strong dude because I think most people would have faltered. And they asked him, they were like, how did you get through it? Like, what was the secret? And he was like, I, I really don't know. You can see like, it's been almost 30 years since that happened. You can still see the wear on him when he talks about it. The other thing, and I feel fine saying this because all of this is public knowledge. Like it's a documentary about one of the most famous people on earth. The other thing, he was really into Posh when they met. And actually he was really into her before they met. He tells this story about watching a video of the Spice Girls and he saw Posh and was like, yep, that's it for me. I'm going to marry her. And then fast forward, two of the Spice Girls are at the football stadium for something or another. I mean, they're hugely super famous. And somebody told him, they were like, oh, the Spice Girls are here. And he was like, all of them? And they were like, no, it's two of them. It's like Posh and Sporty Spice or whatever. And he was like, oh. And he was like, that was it. I was going to shoot my shot. So he went, he met her. They exchanged numbers and like it went from there. But he meets this lady and he pretty much says, I was gone from day one. He was like, I used to drive six hours one way just to go spend an hour with her and then drive back. That's when he didn't really had no money. When he got money, money, he was chartering planes to go see this woman and then turn the plane back around. I was like, are you serious? He was. I mean, he married the lady. They've been together forever. He also cheated on her. Like very publicly. And I was like, how do we get to the point where you're driving six hours each way to see somebody for an hour where you're chartering planes to be in their face for 40 minutes to the point that you married them, got two kids with them. And she might have been pregnant at the time and then get caught publicly cheating on them. Like, I was just like, nigga, nigga, white nigga, what are you doing? I mean, this is years ago. He also did some other crazy shit. He pulled what I would call a Barack. I won't tell you what David Beckham did, but I refer to it as a Barack because it was his autobiography, not Michelle's. Or was it Michelle's? One of them told a story about shortly after they got married, Barack had a book deal where it was a bunch of money and he hadn't turned it in. So the publisher was like, well, you ain't wrote the book, so give us our money back. So he got married to Michelle. And I want to say like within like a month of them getting married, it might have been less than that. And he was like, yeah, I'm gonna go to Bali and I'm gonna go write this book. And like, I'll be back. And I was like, nigga, what? I was like, is this, is this wife life? Like, mm, 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 mm. you know, I struggle with it. David Beckham does some shit like that. And I was like, yo, most of the documentary, he's lovely. He's charming. He genuinely seems like a nice man, a good father, with the exception of some gigantic, huge, what the fuck nigga mistakes. Like he actually seems like a good husband. Not even mistakes, because they were like willful choices. I think a mistake is like, you know, a fender bender, dropping the popcorn. But David Beckham, it's like he's a good dude. But when he decides not to be, he's monumentally bad. Like the first half of episode four, I was like, they're really still married? Really still married? Remember Michelle Obama talked about, she was like, well, you know, we've been married 30 years and, you know, 20 of them have been good. Like 10 of them were pretty bad. I was like, a third? A third? A third? People were like, that's what marriage is. And I was like, I I think that's why I can't be married. Does everybody experience that? A third of bad? A third? He tried it, though. David, back that all of episode four, I was like, you got to be fucking kidding me. You got to be fucking kidding. Me. You got to watch it just to get to episode four to see if you have the same reaction I did. Because I was like, nigga, nigga. 
Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com. What else did I watch? I didn't watch this over the weekend. What's the film? It's a new film with Jamie Foxx and Journey Smollett. Jessie's sister. We know who she is outside of Jessie, though. Speaking of Jessie, no, we'll come back. Well, no, we're here. Jessie's been having some problems over the last few years. I, I, I read yesterday, I saw it on TMZ, I think, that he's entered rehab. A rep for Jesse told TMZ, Jesse has had an extremely difficult past few years. He has quietly been working very hard for some time now, and we are proud of him for taking these necessary steps. TMZ says they were told that he's in an outpatient program. I ain't trying to be funny. Why are they telling us this? It's not like he was in the middle of like a big project and now he has to leave the project to go focus on rehab. He might have been working on things behind the scenes, but to the public, he hasn't been doing anything that he was on our radar. I haven't thought about Jesse Smollett in, in months. I don't understand why there needed to be an announcement that he was going to rehab. This don't seem weird to you? I'm not questioning whether the man needs help. I think everyone would probably understand that he needs help and has probably needed it for some time. I would say that there was probably something going on with him that went left that led him to pulling that stunt because the stunt was bad. We don't need to go into detail what it is. Everybody remembers Subway 2 a.m. Chicago and then the Nigerian brothers. So everyone remembers that circus. Something clearly had to be happening in order for him to do that nonsense. And then there was a whole bunch of fallout, which I'm sure exacerbated whatever he was dealing with that led to the stunt. And his career has never recovered from that. So I don't doubt that there's a lot going on. Actually, it makes complete sense that there's been a lot going on with him. I just don't understand why there needs to be a public announcement about him going to rehab. This seems to me like some old school PR shit. Like anytime somebody did something crazy, like the next day, it was like, oh, I have a drug problem. I have a drinking problem. I'm dealing with anxiety. Like, and all of those things could be very true. But it was always like something crazy happened. And then literally two days later, it'd be like, okay, the client is going to rehab as if to explain away whatever crazy thing they just did. But the person was doing something at the time. I'm like, you waited, what, like how many years after that incident to be like, okay, I'm going to rehab. Like, you could have saved yourself years ago, bro. Why, why didn't you just say back then? I'm going to rehab, whether you were going or not. Just announce it so people can get off your ass. Maybe this is like a reboot he's trying. I'm not mad at it. It's been some time. People have done worse things. You needed some attention. You lied about being lynched at 2 a.m. on the streets of Chicago. In the grand scheme of things, some time and money were wasted. Like, you know, you're not a credible man, but it's not like, you know, he's doing accounting for a living. It's not like he's running for office. I'm willing to move on from Jesse. Forgive if whatever that's required, whatever. If he wants to act, I have no problem with him acting. We let R. Kelly piss on children for 20 fucking years. Like, surely we can't really still be mad at Jesse over this. Like, I mean, can we trust him? No, but he's an actor. Like, can he still act? Like, fine. I don't care.
But his sister is in this really good movie on Amazon Prime, The Burial. That's the name of the movie. Jamie Foxx and Jernay Smollett both play lawyers on opposite sides, opposing counsel. I don't think I even knew this movie was coming out. It just kind of like popped up out of nowhere. And I was like, oh, okay. And then I saw it was Jamie Foxx. And I really like Jamie Foxx, like just overall celebrity persona. It's not like I know the man, but I like who he presents himself to be. It's a movie based on a true story about a very famous black lawyer who I never heard of, but okay. But because it was Jamie Foxx, I was like, well, let me just, you know, give it a watch and just see what it is. Trying to support the black man. Jamie Foxx is all over the posters. I didn't see Jornay Smollett was in it initially. First time I tried to watch it, really couldn't get into it. It's a slow build. Jamie Foxx plays a pretty eccentric character. Charismatic, some might say. I found it a little over the top, but it wasn't bad. It just didn't hook me. I tried to watch it and I think I fell asleep and I was like, well, look, I gave it more than 20 minutes. Surely that's got to count as a full stream. Okay. And then somebody DM'd me and was like, oh, did you get a chance to see it? Like, it's really good. And I was like, it was too slow for me. It just couldn't get going. And she was like, give it another try. Like, it definitely picks up. Like, it gets good. And I was like, well, all right, sis. Like, if I have some downtime and I had to twist my hair, this is when I was in New York. So I was like, well, I ain't got nothing else to do. Let me see if it's anything to get into. So I tried it again. It actually did pick up. I think it's worth watching. It's not like run out immediately and go watch like like the Beckham documentary. If you haven't watched it, because it didn't just come out, but you should probably prioritize it. The burial, it's good. If it's too cold to go out, if it's rainy, it's something good to put on. It will keep you entertained. Or if you just want to support the black man and a black woman doing honest work, it's worthwhile. We have weird news this week. I guess this isn't really weird. Jeezy put out a statement about his divorce. I think up until now, he hasn't said much. The story about Jeezy and Jeannie getting a divorce, it was a journalist doing what journalists do, which was checking the public records to see if there was anything of note that had come up at the courthouse and they found the court filing that Jeezy had filed for divorce from Jeannie. That's how the story blew up. It wasn't Jeannie or Jeezy announcing it. I think Jeezy had posted something very cryptically, maybe the day before the filing, a couple days before the filing, something like everybody can't go with you to the next level or something like that. But because we didn't know that he was about to file for divorce, nobody really thought much about it. It sounded like the, the typical celebrity griping about the perils of fame. And then we realized, oh shit, that's an ill subliminal about him filing for divorce. I guess Jeannie's not going with him to whatever next level he's headed for or wherever he's headed, whether it's next level or otherwise. I mean, he's the snowman. But Jeezy has made a public statement, which also, again, Jeannie's been doing the morning TV rounds. She was on Sherry recently. So I'm like, if Jeannie's talking, it's fair game for Jeezy to talk. But he said, quote, the decision to end this chapter in my life was not made impulsively and comes with a heavy heart. Despite this, my love and respect for Jeannie remains and the time we spent together holds a cherished place in my heart. Sounds like the woman died. He continues, our beautiful daughter is the best gift from our relationship and I'm committed to assuring she feels the love and stability she deserves. During this period, I kindly request that you respect our family's privacy as we focus on healing. I mean, nobody's going to respect your privacy during this time, but it was a good statement overall. This is another one where I don't, I don't know why it was necessary. I don't know what he intended to accomplish with this. Like he just, he needed to say something, I guess. I'm not sure why. Because folks ain't going to give them no privacy. Anyone with half a brain would conclude that the decision was not made impulsively. Maybe he just needed to go on record. I don't follow Jeezy, so I don't see what people are saying in his comments. So he might feel that he had to, he had to put out the statement to his fans to, I don't know, stop them from doing whatever. I don't know. I say this every time somebody announces their divorce. Divorce is hard. Divorce is terrible. Divorce is difficult. I would not wish that shit on anyone. Hope they can co-parent well and do what's best for the kid. I think that's all I got. I guess the reason I'm surprised that he spoke out, because I feel like he's not taking the brunt of this one, even though he's the one that filed. I feel like people are pretty pro-Jeezy. I've seen a couple comments about how many broken homes and single mothers is he going to create. I think his child with Jeannie is his fourth. It may be his third baby mama. How many kids does Jeezy have? All I see from Life and Style, it says 
four children from different relationships. They all have his last name, so I can't tell how many mothers. Oh no, here we go. There's one. There's two. There's a son. They don't know who his biological mother is. I'm reading this on Hollywood Life. So Jeannie is either the third or fourth mother of his children. So it's a fair comment to be like, how many single mothers in broken homes are you going to create? Fair. But for the vast majority of commentary that I've seen about Jeezy and Jeannie, she's the one taking the hit for it. And it's like, well, what did she do to make him file for divorce? The theory is men don't usually file for divorce. Men just cheat and piss the woman off until she decides to leave. She decides to file. But they were like, well, what happened? If Jeezy filed, she must have done something. I think there was also an interview she gave where she talked about having a temper. And people were like, well, she said she had a temper. and She must have talked crazy to him. But people have just decided that she's the villain in this relationship. Also, she's been previously married and divorced. And they're like, well, she's done her second divorce. So it must be her problem. I'm like, well, he's on his, you know, third or fourth mother or child. I'm like, they, they might both have issues. Is that possible? Is that possible? Not the biggest fan of Jeannie after that quote came out about black men being, what did she say, a side dish? I could have done without that commentary. But I also don't like watching people just beat up on her just because she's a woman. I hate intersectionality sometimes. She's an Asian woman who said this asshole shit about a black person. And so the black in me is upset about that shit, but the woman in me still feels bad for her. I hate it. I hate it sometimes. <sighs> Lupita? Lupita don't bother nobody. Lupita minds her business. We ain't heard no drama about Lupita in like, she's been out like a good 10 years. All we hear about is how lovely she is, how men just fall into her arms, how they're so captivated by her. There used to be this viral video floating around Instagram for years. It was a compilation of men just looking smitten and warm and fuzzy while hugging Lupita. I literally cannot think of any Lupita drama. I guess like when she first came out, she wasn't identifying as black. And black Americans were like, ma'am, ma'am, ma'am. If you grow up in a culture where everybody's black, Kenya, you're not defined by blackness. Everybody's black. Like, so what does that mean? Like in Ghana running around being like, I'm black, I'm black. They're like, and the sun is in the sky. Like, what are you saying? Like, does it matter? But classism, a thing. Huge thing. Gigantic thing. Race? Hmm. No one else black cares. So it makes sense in context. I know in publishing circles, there was a really big thing about why she didn't have a black team. The thought was if she had anybody black in her inner professional circle, somebody would have told her, you don't go do interviews in America declaring that you're not black. That's not going to go over well. That said, that happened on her early rounds of press and we've heard nothing crazy from her since then. About a, maybe like a year and change ago, she announced that she was in a relationship. She was serious about this one. And apparently he's acted an ass. Ungood. Very ungood. So they made an announcement they were together and they didn't make an announcement that they broke up. So she went to a Janelle Monet concert with Joshua Jackson. White boy, cute white boy. Recently divorced, I read. Oh, is that who that is? Oh, that's kind of messy. I thought it was messy because Lupita was known to have a boyfriend and then she was out with Joshua Jackson and people were confused. Like, hey, don't you got a man at home? Why are you out with this man, this white man? I didn't realize Joshua Jackson is Jody Turner Smith's estranged husband. They filed for divorce, but they're still legally married. That's who she was out with. Oh, that's why this is a bit of a scandal. Oh, it's all coming together now. Let me scroll back up and look at him. He's, he's a nice looking white boy. That's a lot of confusion for a married man. Oh, Lupita. I don't know if I like this. When did they file? Oh, shit. Jody filed for divorce at the start of October. Baby, we only at the 20th. It hasn't even been three weeks. And you out in public with a new woman already? I mean, I guess if it's over, it's... I mean, kind of over because they're still legally married. I, mm, mm. I guess he got a type, though. He like a bad black chick, a melanated one. Hmm. 
But Lupita did put out a statement because folks were like, um, where your man at, sis? Where your man at? This was her statement. It was a long statement, too. She says, um, there are much more important things going on in the world right now. And my thoughts are with those who are deeply suffering. I assume she's referring to Israel, Palestine, Ukraine, any of those. At this moment, it's necessary for me to share a personal truth and publicly disassociate myself from someone I can no longer trust. I find myself in a season of heartbreak because of a love suddenly and devastatingly extinguished by deception. I am tempted to run into the shadows and hide, only to return to the light when I have regained my strength enough for me to say whatever. My life is better this way. But I am reminded that the magnitude of the pain I am feeling is equal to the measure of my capacity for love. And so I am choosing to face the pain, cultivating the courage to meet my life exactly as it is and trusting that this too shall pass. The promise, they say, is that a tender heart is what gives birth to fearlessness. I hope it's true. I share this to keep it 100 and hoping that the knowledge of my experience might be useful to someone else out there experiencing the grip of heartbreak who is poised to try and escape from the pain and miss out on the wisdom that comes from it. Hashtag breakup. Let's face our pain so we don't spread it. Girl, I like I like Lapita. I like Lapita lots and lots and lots. This could have been two sentences, sis. <laughs> Somebody said that to me <laughs> when I announced, oh my God, you see how hard I'm laughing at this shit. It was so terrible at the time. When I announced that me and my ex-husband had gone our separate ways, we've been separated for a minute, living in separate states, but I hadn't legally filed for divorce. I had to file and then wait till he was served before I could make a statement. Mm-hmm, 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 mm-hmm. I wrote this long ass explanation of like why we're not together and, you know, moving forward and blah, blah, blah. Somebody was like, this could have been two sentences, sis. I was like, fuck you. I think I probably blocked them. (laughs) My bad. Because now I'm reading this and I'm like, girl, you don't owe us an explanation for shit. Clearly you're feeling it, but you're trying to make artistic sense of it. You're, You're forming very beautiful sentences. You're trying to make sense of the heartbreak and the betrayal and and whatever you're feeling at the moment. Like, I mean, she's an artist, artist, clearly. I totally believe she personally wrote this in her notes and then pasted it into the caption. You don't owe us this, this, and it's too much. We don't deserve this much of you. We don't know you personally. We're, you're not calling us at 2 a.m. when things fall apart. I appreciate that you've shared these very beautiful words, that you've tried to inspire people in the midst of your heartbreak and pain. You don't owe us this shit. No one does. The nigga lied. Hashtag single. Hashtag breakup. Really, we could have got to the point in one sentence. If I knew Lupita, I would call her. I'm like, girl, a nigga who deceived you don't deserve words this beautiful. And neither does a bunch of people who don't know you. I hope you feel better soon. I guess she's taking the old school advice. Like you get over somebody by getting under another. I mean, some folks would say it works. I wish her well. I genuinely like her. Now, this married man you messing with, sis, he's estranged. There's, there's been a filing. A divorce is in progress. I don't know if taking up with somebody in the middle of a divorce and with a young child, no less, is the type of healing you need. But maybe he's just providing good dick. I don't, I don't think I like it. I don't have to like it. It's not my life. From what she's describing, and she was in a messy situation with her ex. He deceived her. This is by nature. Even if he's an upstanding guy, he's in a messy situation. Like he's going through a divorce and they have a young baby. Like that's, is that the healing you need? Surely you can find a man without an estranged wife and a young baby to get underneath or climb on the top of. However y'all like to do whatever y'all like to do. Go to concerts with. We know for sure they do that. Suge Knight, he's starting a podcast from prison. You know for sure Suge Knight got some good stories to tell. But also, how are you doing a podcast from prison? TMZ announced, well, TMZ has everything this week. Oh, Dave Mays, he's he's the founder of The Source. He's involved in this. He's working with Suge Knight on a podcast called Collect Calls (laughs) with Suge Knight. Are you kidding me? Is this legal? Does the prison system know he's up to this? How much time does he get on the phone to record an entire podcast? I'm reading this from TMZ. It says, Shug aims to address everyone who allegedly used his name for headlines over the years. 
It said in the preview, you can hear him accuse people of lying on his name. He plans to address former associates like Akon, Master P, Dr. Dre, and Snoop Dogg. That's going to be messy. It says Warren G appears to be the first person Suge Knight comes for. They really put this in a press release. In addition to firing back at his haters, Suge Knight also wants the podcast to be a tool for the younger generation. He wants others to benefit from his experiences in the music industry and also plans to answer questions from his audience. Apparently, five 30-minute episodes are already recorded and they're going to release new episodes each week on all major platforms with audio on Thursday and video on Friday. He's shooting video from the pokey? Collect Calls with Shug Knight is scheduled to launch on Halloween. I feel like I need to listen to at least the episode just for the shits and giggles of it all. But also, I want to know how they're doing video from prison. Where is he locked up at? I really want to know if his prison system knows that he's doing this. This can't be legal. I swear this can't be legal. (sighs) What does it say? Don't ask for permission, ask for forgiveness? Is that what we're doing here? In Jada Pinkett Smith news, before we talk about the book, She did a launch in Baltimore, but she's from Baltimore, so it makes sense that she would do a book launch there. Her husband, who had been posting like he was in the middle of nowhere, he wasn't in the middle of nowhere. He was on a plane to Baltimore to be with his wife, who don't want to be called his wife, but also does interviews saying he's her man. I give up trying to understand. We just got to treat them like we treat every other like dysfunctional auntie-uncle situation in the family. Your family has some dysfunctional relatives. Mine too. Some years the spouse is there for Thanksgiving. Some years they're not. Sometimes you don't see them four years and then they're back like they never left. It just, it happens. But there was a woman when I was a child that came around with a man for years. I called her auntie so-and-so. And then one day the family friend showed up with a new woman. And I was like, Harpo! The equivalent of, I was a child when all this happened. But I was like, Harpo! Who this woman? And my mother was like, shh, that's his wife. I thought auntie so-and-so was his wife. No, that was his girlfriend. They weren't together at the time, but this is his wife. And I was like, well, where's auntie so-and-so? And she's like, I don't know. We don't mention her no more because that's his wife. And I was like, oh, everybody got a couple in their family that, you know, their situation, you don't really know what their situation is. You just be like, whatever, it's not my situation and let it bang. I feel like that's how we got to treat Jada and Will right now. Like they, they figuring it out, I guess, according to them. Will is flying from the other side of Earth, Will and the whole family, to get to Jada's book launch in Baltimore. Also, Gammy just turned 70, Jada's mom. Will and the whole family were there for that too. Will and his mother and all the kids were there to celebrate Gammy. You know, y'all are a family. Y'all just doing some, some different things that everybody don't understand. I think your big mistake is trying to explain it to people because you're trying to explain some stuff that people don't want to understand. It's too out the box. People are very traditional. Like as a, as a culture, as a society, we like to think that we've advanced, that we're ready for new things. Not really. We struggle really a lot with anything that's not traditional. Like moving the needle on like damn near everything is an upward battle. Folks worried about Will. Will is running. Will is on some Oletta Adams. I will get here. Railway, train, mountains, nothing is an obstacle. He will get to Jada. He's like David Beckham in that way. They're going to get to where they want to be. Folks worried about Will. Will wants to be with Jada. And apparently Jada wants to be with Will. I don't understand it. It's not meant for me to understand. That's not the point. The point is, I read the first 100 pages of Jada's book. I understand the press run. I understand that in order to sell books, in order to get people to tune in to your television program, to your radio program, to your podcast, to your blog post, to whatever it is. You give the most salacious details that are available as much to get the book sales, as much to get the clicks. Like there's a whole machine that goes into the marketing, the press of a big book, one that she was paid many, many millions for, but to get it out there and get it inevitably, to the top of the New York Times bestsellers list. I take no issue with the machine. It is what it is. Jada and her book are not the first people or product to be a clog in the machine. That said, after reading the first 120 pages of the book, 
I feel like a great disservice has been done to Jada and to her book. I'm sure that we'll get to the parts that are very much about Will 120 pages in. She's just graduated from high school and she's a freshman in college. She had a whole lot of life before Will Smith came along and also even before Tupac came along. I didn't tune in very much to Red Table Talk. I tuned in when there was a really good interview. I knew the gist of of Jada's mother having a heroin addiction at one point in time. She talks about it just enough, I think. She doesn't give overly graphic details about her mother's addiction. Oh, I'm about to do spoilers, just FYI. So if you don't want to know any more about Jada's book, I would suggest you cut the podcast off like immediately. I'll wait. You still here? Okay, I'm going to talk now. All right, so she tells this story about her mom showing up at her job, Jada's job, when she was in high school. She was working at Merry-Go-Round. Do you remember Merry-Go-Round? It was like this really popular store that sold cross colors, used jeans, guests, the really upscale, quote unquote, urban wear. It was pretty much a staple, definitely in D.C., Maryland, Virginia. I don't know if it expanded beyond that. But that's where you went to get like your really cute urban label stuff. Like I got my first pair of used jeans from there. She said her mom came to the mall one day and she wanted to put a leather jacket on layaway for Jada's birthday. And she was so high. Jada observed. She was like, I didn't know one how she got there without killing herself. Like, did she drive here? Oh, my God. And she says in the middle of the transaction, her mom is so high on heroin that she nods off standing up. That's probably as much detail as she gives about her mother's addiction. I appreciate that she tells the story in an honest way because it's very difficult to talk about people that you care about who are also very flawed. You want to tell the story and its impact on you, but you also want to leave them with dignity in telling their story. I think she draws a really fine line in the way that she speaks about her mother, especially with her mother being a public figure in her own right too. It's not like we don't know who her mother is. Also, I appreciate the way that she tells stories about addiction. Both her mother and father were addicts. And then I want to say her paternal grandmother was a weekend alcoholic. I think often when people talk about addiction, the image is, I don't know, Chris Rock from New Jack City or Halle Berry and Sam Jackson from the Jungle Fever. I think that's what people think of when they think of addiction. According to Jada's version of events, Gammy was working full time, was in school full time to become an RN and had a full blown heroin addiction the whole time. At the time when she comes to Jada's job and is so high that she nods off standing up in the middle of a transaction, she was coming from work. Like her mother always held down a full-time job while also being a full-blown heroin addict. I'm flipping through the pages right now. Her relationship with Tupac has been grossly misrepresented in the media for years but also most recently. He doesn't come up until page like 81, 82, because she meets him in high school. She makes it clear from the very beginning, they were just friends. They were very close friends. They had one of those unique bonds where you just meet someone and immediately you're like, boom, this is my person. They spent a whole lot of time together. They did everything together. They talked about everything together, but they have no romantic relationship. The way she describes it is they were genuinely like brother and sister. And in fact, it wasn't just her and Tupac. It was her, Tupac, and this white boy that she was dating who she asked Tupac to befriend so she would have a reason to get to know the white boy. Like the three of them were running around Baltimore together. They have, she doesn't specifically use this word, but it's a common term that we use now, like a trauma bond, really. Both of them have mothers with addictions. The white boy that they hang out with, his mother was ill. Did she have a stroke or something? I want to say she was disabled. 
So his mother is incapacitated in a different way. But that's like the common thread between the three of them. Jada points out that her mom was always able to hold down a job. So they were able to live decently. Tupac's mom, not so much. And she talks about how Tupac had nothing. And so she was like, I would buy him clothes. I would buy him food. And she's like, I had to present it to him in a way that didn't insult him. She said he was a very proud person. He would never have taken the food or clothes as charity. And she was like, I had to couch it as, oh, I was buying something for myself. And I saw this and I was like, yo, he would love this, blah, blah, blah. But she was like, that's how I made sure that he had a decent meal and had a clean shirt. The picture that she paints of him is very, very, very different than the one that the public has painted, particularly bloggers and and podcasters, of their relationship. It's almost like insulting the way it's been mischaracterized. Her version is so much different than what's been put out there. She talked extensively about selling drugs in Baltimore while she was in high school Like, she stopped selling drugs because she goes to college. She had a couple really crazy run-ins where she should have been dead and still wasn't quite out the game. Her mother found out she was selling drugs. Actually, her mother found out she got robbed while selling drugs. And her mother made her go away to school. And that's how she got out the drug game. And I was like, that's crazy. I knew Jada Pinkett Smith grew up in Baltimore. I knew the time period that she grew up in Baltimore. All of D.C., Baltimore, the PG suburbs, like all of D.C. was a hot mess in the 80s, especially the 90s. It never crossed my mind that her life was that chaotic. I think probably because she's so talented and was talented from a young age because she went to a performing arts school. I think I put in my head that she existed in a bubble and clearly she wasn't. She was right up in the mix. She just happened to be really talented and had a way out. Her talent got her into college out of state. She's lucky. So was Tupac. She had a really interesting life. We talked about the Will Smith quote last week. He sent a statement to the New York Times. In summary, he was saying he learned a lot about Jada reading her book and said that if he had known all of the things that he learned after reading the book, that he probably would have behaved differently. That's my summary of what he said. You've been with somebody 30 years and you you didn't know these stories before she put them in a book? Really? Like enough to the point that you were like, had I known I would have behaved differently. I could see like a detail or two. Like I still find out stuff about my parents all the time. But I'm just like, you know, the gist of it, the overall gist. I feel like I know the stories, but I actually communicate with them. Maybe he doesn't communicate. I don't know. He was on movie sets for a good chunk of their marriage, I guess. She's got a lot of issues with men, father figures, I would say. Her biological father wasn't very much involved and he tells her point blank like I can't be a good I can't be a dad to you not even a good dad he's like I can't be a dad to you like I have an addiction and like that's just where I am and she said like at that point he really hadn't been around that often but she was like I respected that he didn't leave me guessing about what role he was going to play in my life then her mom marries this guy a lawyer The new guy was great. She was like, my mom was off working and then also like a full-blown addict, but she was too young to realize at the time. And so she was like, me and old boy like rocked out. We were good. Like he was a great dad. And then things fell apart between her mother and the guy. I'm going to guess addiction had something to do with it. Jada doesn't specifically say. They fall out. And she said, the guy tells her when he parts with her mother, he was like, you're still my daughter. Everything's good. But then he goes and gets a new girlfriend and she's like, nah, like you're not going to keep engaging with your ex-wife's kid. That's not your kid. So he dropped Jada. And that was that. We'll see how that plays out into other things as as the story goes on. Um, But I do just want to make another point about the idea of addiction. Jada's grandparents, maternal grandparents, so Gammy's, Gammy's mother and father, are staunchly upper middle class people. They're like one of the first black families to move into a white neighborhood. They live in a a big ass house. I can't remember what the father did. I want to say he was a doctor. She describes her grandmother as being like a socialite of some kind. Gammy ends up being a teenage mom and then has like a full-blown heroin addiction. So I sometimes think when people think of like addiction and also middle class families, they think money solves every problem. 
And it's just not true. If nothing else, like my big takeaway from this book, and I think this is the importance of like why people need to tell their stories, why I'm very mindful of of not trying to silence people like Jada, is because if you let other people tell your narrative, like you have no fucking clue what they'll say. They'll say you're in love with Tupac and y'all had this romantic relationship for years. But her story is so much bigger than like what it's been reduced to. I'm enjoying the book so far. I'm looking forward to the next couple chapters. I told you I read ahead a little bit. I did flip ahead to see where we end up somewhere around 200. Just in glimpsing, I saw that Will appears. We'll talk about the next 100 pages next episode. All right. Talk Tuesday. Bye. Today's episode is brought to you by Angie. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs done well. Let me tell you, there's the version of it where you try to do something at home, and then there's a version of it where you have someone help you, you watch them do it the right way, and you go, thank God I didn't try to do that myself. I have fully done things around the home that I think look good, and then a bang in the night, and I wake up to a shelf collapsing, a painting falling off the wall. Like it, I've, I've seen it all go south. I own a home, and I can tell you... I know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. It can be hard just to know where to start. But now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, you can Angie that and connect with skilled professionals to get the project done well. Right now, one of my wish lists is I want a bike for my condo in Milwaukee and I would love to rig it up on a pulley in the ceiling because I have one of those like lofted ceilings, but I'm so scared to try that on my own. Angie has 20 years of home experience and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app. Answer a few questions and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com.